the Legal Toolkit with Jared Correa. With guest Mike Whalen, we play a round of Bag of Dicks. And then, we're joined by Martha Stewart to teach us her favorite recipe for gin and juice. But first, your host, Jared Correa. It's time for the Legal Toolkit. Pan down the hatches. And yes, it's still called the Legal Toolkit Podcast, even though I've never actually held a plum bob. I have held a plum beth, however. I'm your host, Jared Korea. You're stuck with me because William Shatner was unavailable. He's recording a new episode of The Unexplained and also yelling after Khan. I'm the CEO of Red Cave Law Firm Consulting, a business management consulting service for attorneys and bar associations. Find us online at redcavelegal.com. I'm the COO of Gideon Software, Inc. We build chatbots so law firms can convert more leads and conversational document assembly tools so law firms can build documents faster and more accurately. You can find out more about Gideon at gideonlegal.com. Now, before we get to our interview today with Mike Whalen of Lawyer Ford, I've got something special for that ass. You'll still come across Snoop Dogg in popular culture on the regular. He's got a movie coming out where he's killing vampires with Jamie Foxx and randomly Dave Franco called Day Shift that, I'm not going to lie, looks fucking awesome. I'm definitely going to watch it. Snoop is also hanging with Martha Stewart, hosting television shows with Kelly Clarkson and investing in and starting up companies. Right on brand, he and some of his compatriots also created the largest gin and juice drink in history in 2018 at a music festival. Apparently, it included 156 liters of apricot brandy, which is fucking disgusting, but I digress. So basically, if you started following the Snoop verse in the mid-2000s, you might not even know he was a recording artist. So he was nicknamed Snoop Dogg as a kid because he loved the character Snoopy from Charlie Brown. Now, Snoop is basically a cultural institution that far surpasses Snoopy in relevance. His paw prints are everywhere. I kind of think of Snoop as sort of like Willie Nelson in that they are known for their cannabis use and have this outsized significance in pop culture, which means a lot of things to a lot of people, but far outstrips their contributions as musical artists. But Willie Nelson is actually a brilliant songwriter, and Snoop is a musical genius. If you'll remember back a few episodes, I launched a new monologue series called Perfect Albums. The first Perfect Album I named was Uncle Tupelo's Anodyne. At that time, I said that the Perfect Album has no bad songs, and that's still true. But it's more than that. I think that what makes an album perfect is that it is an encapsulation of a time period. It underscores some kind of ethos. Uncle Tupelo kicked off the alt-country music movement and was firmly rooted in early 90s culture. Anodyne was the apogee of that genre. Now, around the same time on the West Coast, NWA was pioneering the popular acceptance of what was then called gangster rap. They probably wouldn't call it that now. And NWA spawned lots of successful solo artists like Dr. Dre, Ice Cube, and Eazy-E. And then, Dre spun off Snoop. Snoop Doggy Dog, as he was then known. I think it's Snoop Dogg now, although that's gone through a number of changes. He first appeared in some Dr. Dre videos, including the underrated Deep Cover, 
as a theme song for a Lawrence Fishburne movie. But especially nothing but a G thing, baby. Wow, I'm a terrible singer. Which exploded on the scene and was most people's mainstream introduction to West Coast rap. That set the stage for Snoop's debut album, which was appropriately called Doggy Style. Yeah, that's a double entendre. It's also a perfect album. When I was in college, I often referred to Doggy Style as the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band of Rap. It was that revolutionary, and both of the album covers are iconic, too. Honestly, I go on and on about how much I love Doggy Style. Um, The record... In my opinion, it's the greatest rap album of all time, and it perfectly encapsulates the West Coast scene of the early 90s. I knew Snoop was huge when my dad asked me one day what the shiznit was. So full disclosure, I'm going to sound pretty lame here talking about this album. But if a middle-aged white man can't speak in praise of the historical musical accomplishments of a middle-aged black man, I would ask you what's wrong with this country. Actually, don't answer that. So to me, there are a few things that make Doggy Style particularly ingenious. First, probably most obviously, all the songs are amazing. The samples are off the hook. Snoop has such a unique flow that the vocals are striking. And there are enough iconic lines to choke a goat. It's amazing how many ways Snoop can tell people in his songs to fuck off, each more creative than the last. So Gin and Juice is effectively the title track. And it's one of the most recognizable rap songs ever. The video, by the way, is also amazing, with Snoop having some dude ride him around on the handlebars of his bike while he's wearing a comically oversized Pittsburgh Penguins jersey to go get his hair done. That shit still cracks me up. Murder Was the Case is an absolute tour de force and a prison morality tale. For real, it's like modern-day Dr. Faustus. The full name of the song is Murder Was the Case, parentheses, Death After Visualizing Eternity. We're dealing with some serious shit here. Doggy Dog World features the Dramatics, an actual Motown group on Harmony. Who else would do that shit on a rap album? Lottie Dottie is a laid-back piece that serves as an intro to Murder Was the Case, complete with a Slick Rick shout-out at the outset. Shouts to Slick Rick. Songs like Ain't No Fun, If the Homies Can't Have None, and G's and Hustlers are legitimately great songs, buried under even better songs, like Bone. The next best thing about Doggy Style, behind the music, is all the interludes. The album actually starts out with an interlude, not a song, and it sets the tone for the album. It's called Bathtub, and it's literally about a dude trying to chill in his bathtub with his lady before someone rings the doorbell and interrupts. That seems to happen a lot in Long Beach. The next track, G-Funk Intro, is a song, but it ends with a guy taking a piss, which bleeds over into the beginning of Gin and Juice. This shit was kind of staggering in the early 90s and is roughly equivalent to James Joyce writing about Leopold Bloom wiping his ass for shreds of newspapers after he read them. W Balls is track four, and the intro to Ain't No Fun features fictional DJs at a fictional radio station. That'd be W Balls. First, there's DJ Saul T-Nuts, and that's clever, and then DJ Easy Dick, so for those of you scoring at home, W Balls is a station that slaps you across your fat ass with a fat dick. Now that is a tagline, if I've ever heard one. Probably unsurprisingly, freshman year of college, my friends and I had a pirate radio station and we called it W Balls. And obviously there's a chronic break between 12 and 13, because you always got to take chronic break. The final thing that I love most about Doggy Style, which cements its addition to the Pantheon, is the ridiculous number of guest artists who are sprinkled all over the album. 
Of course, Dre is there, but so is Lady of Rage, rocking rough and tough with her Afro puffs. Plus, Warren G. and Nate Dogg show up. George Clinton from Parliament Funkadelic drops in, blessing the G-Funk genre, of which Snoop was a part. Bootsy Collins, by the way, also co-wrote a song. You've also got Sam Sneed, not the golfer. Corrupt and the Dog Pound, Snoop's posse. Lots of wattage there. So, if you only know Snoop as a spokesperson, or even if you remember when he was a trailblazing artist, Doggy Style, a perfect album, is worth a renewed listen. But just prepare yourself for the spectacle that is Doggy Style. Because I think DJ Salty Nuts said it best. You're about to go downtown, bitch. Right here on the station that plays only platinum hits. That's 187.4 on your FM dial. If you're licking, that's W Balls. Now, before we get to our discussion on content marketing, I really don't know how I'm going to segue from this, with Mike Whalen of Lawyer Ford, let's all put down our 40s for a moment and listen to Joshua Lennon, who has got you for this week's edition of the Clio Legal Trends Report. Here's a fact about billing that I bet you didn't know. The average collection rate for law firms in 2020 was only 89%. I'm Joshua Lennon, lawyer and residence at Clio, and this is just one finding from our recent Legal Trends Report. Now you might be wondering, why should I be concerned about this number? Because it means on average, 11% of billable work goes uncollected, a symptom of having an outdated billing and payment process. Using technology like online payments makes it convenient for clients to pay you faster. Studies show 57% of bills paid online are paid within a day of the bill being issued, and 85% are paid within one week. And why not? You did the work. Go get paid. To learn more about how technology helps law firms improve their financial performance, download Clio's Legal Trends Report for free at clio.com forward slash trends. That's Clio spelled C-L-I-O dot com forward slash trends. All right, let's get into the burnt ends from Oklahoma Joe's Barbecue, which is this podcast. It's time to interview our guest. My guest today is Mike Whalen, the CEO of Lawyer Forward. Mike, welcome to the show. Um, I'm excited to be here, and the fact that you started, you led with barbecue, even though I've not had lunch and it's three o'clock, I, I feel like that was wrong. That was unkind, and I hate I'm you. I'm sorry. I feel bad now. Thanks for coming on the show, man. I appreciate Absolutely. it. Now, people can't see this, but you're currently wearing like a very fetching purple Utah Jazz hat. That's correct. You're a Utah Jazz fan. That's correct. I don't know why. I went to Utah for undergrad and did not enjoy any of it. We ran away from Utah. For some reason, I left a jazz fan and I've been depressed ever since. Uh, I could have picked, you know, the Lakers or the Celtics or some team with money, Miami. But no, I pick a downtrodden mid-market team and here we are. The hat is nice, man. The jazz logo is awesome. I love the jazz logo. It's one of my favorite logos. Thematically makes no sense, but it is beautiful. Yeah, none whatsoever. What about the uniforms that they just came out with? Have you seen these like black and yellow? These uniforms are fucking hideous. Yeah. All like, I what's know the is deal? there is a high school practice squad nearby that's wondering <laughs> where did their clothes go? Where are the jerseys? They it's need like to they play like... shirts and skins now because the Jazz stole their uniforms. They've got the mountain jerseys that they're bringing back. They got this awesome logo, and they're like. Let's design the worst possible jersey 
black block letters with a yellow jersey behind. It's just hideous. You know it's what I'm going to do right now for you, Jared? I'm going to make a pivot. And here's what I'm going to say. This was the way the Utah Jazz came out with the jerseys was a perfect example of what happens when you have an audience that you've developed over a period of time and you didn't use that as part of the model to develop something that everybody wanted because you still had a top-down, I'm the company, I'm the boss, you're just mm. the audience, screw you. That is not a healthy relationship when you are a content creator. Papow! You see how I, I did that? I, just... I love how you brought that around. It's almost like we planned it, but I, I plan nothing, <laughs> which I think people are very well aware of when they listen to the show. All right, so like, let's start there. As a content creator... Yeah. Are you focus grouping this stuff? Like, yeah. how are you figuring out, like, what, what the people want? Here's the thing. Like, there's all this talk about lawyers going out and doing content marketing, about uh, the yes. phrase that I use is be yourself loudly, is that, which is a bit different than a very strategic, <laughs> you know, if you had my buddy Guy Sakalakis on, for example, he's, he's or, as my, show. or as my Siri refers to him when he texts me, G-Y-I, G-Y-I has texted you. Uh, see you next week. That's awesome. But, you know, if you like, Guy is very smart and strategic about, you know, if you're trying to get transactions, all you need to do is win Google My Business and you, and you go and you put where, you know, he and I and Mark Homer might have a different conversation about if you're doing content, how would you, how would you do right. that? How would you be yourself? My sort of take on all of it is that there's a difference between a services company that goes out and talks out loud, right? Like a content, I'm going to go be on LinkedIn and I'm just posting stuff and I'll send my crappy newsletter to remind <laughs> people that I exist or whatever. But the problem with that is that's very transactional. That is not a business model. Right. I have tried to advocate for, no, use being yourself out loud as a business model. It is more of a media model. It is take seriously the idea that you're going to create something that people want to engage with, even when they don't need you. It's not necessarily completely tied to your product, but it gives you what's called distribution. And, and we could nerd out about my dad's day in the direct mail industry. There was a period on mm. the internet where it was like direct mail, where you just, yeah. you put in a dollar and you get $2. But the dollar just started, I mean, it got so bloody expensive that you couldn't <laughs> just think in that transactional way. There was price pressure up for getting distribution. There was price pressure down for delivering services. And so what I've tried to advocate for is no, be so weird, so unique, so you, <laughs> that the people who hire you, you tell them how much you charge. That is, it's a harder row to hoe, but it is so much better in terms of control in a relationship, believability in a relationship, trust in a relationship. So what, what I talk about is using content as part of a business model structure, not as a side gig. I see only one flaw in this. Hmm. The assumption is that lawyers have to have personality. True. Listen, it, it, it is true that <laughs> in, in the modern, you know, communication economy, talent rises, right? Like yeah. you can tell the difference between people who feel very normal with this, very natural with this. I was in theater as a kid because I didn't get enough validation from my mom. And so therefore <laughs> I've got to go work some stuff out out loud. It's just the way that it is. And so I'm on, I'm, weirdly comfortable with this stuff. It is true that there are other people that are not as comfortable, but the thing is, not everybody has to be an audience builder, right? In my book, Lawyer Forward, I talk about two 
key models. It's not that there aren't other ways to build a law yeah. firm, but I talk yeah. about two ways. And one is being an audience building firm. In that, you have what's called vertical positioning, which means you serve a type of person no matter what problem they come up with. Those are audience builders. And those people, yeah, you have to have a lot of traffic. You have to be really talented. You have to build this sort of community around your persona to a specific avatar. That's a whole model, right? Yeah. But a horizontal positioning is around a problem. And in that scenario, you're what I call the expert freelancer model. You don't have to have a huge audience for that. And so that sort of talent is not exactly the same. You can be just a public intellectual, it's often called, or a scholar. Oh, I like that. Where you're digging so deep into a subject that your value is not that you're a blow-up, hilarious personality, everybody wants to be around, help me solve all my problems. You can be so niche and so nerdy that none of that stuff even matters, right? Because you're so good at the problem that that person runs into, all kinds of people, because you have horizontal positioning. But again, in both scenarios, however you do it, you are working out loud. The key is to be yourself loudly. That's the thing that matters. That's interesting, like, because we were talking a little bit about this uh, before the show, like, nerd culture is kind of a thing. So I could see a lawyer taking your advice and being like, okay, my big personality component is that I'm like a, a super nerd. So I lean into that. Like that's one way to combine those two things potentially, right? Sure. And as an aside, in the book, I talk about this scenario of somebody owning uh, really niche, you know, old Star Wars action figures as a way to go. And, and, and there can be a lawyer that serves people who have like action figures. I mean, you can really get yeah. so yeah. niche in the way you serve. You don't need, as long as your model is right, you don't need a bajillion customers. And so I would point to, uh, there's a show called Tropical MBA and they have this 10, 100,000 model. Basically, all it means is like you can have a thousand fans and they pay you $250 a year for courses, books, whatever. Right. That's 250000 You can have a hundred who use your thinking. And so you've got like a paid community or whatever, and it's around. So, and then you only have 10 clients. You have 10 people you execute for, right. but they're $25,000 a year. My point is by stacking those things, you can have a $750,000 uh, or a million dollar business around you know, a pretty niche nerdy, you don't have to be for everybody. If you have yeah. the, the other model that we're talking about, which is the audience building model, you know, that is much more about scale. It's much more about being able to do things over and over again. Again, it, the thing that I want to drive home for people is that there is a difference between I do content because I went to a conference and got overwhelmed and they told me, <laughs> Gary freaking Vaynerchuk told me I need to be on the freaking internet. And so I'm going to go be on the internet like an idiot, you know, like amateurishly because I'm supposed to be. There's a difference between that and being a creator as part of your model. And I, I think there's so much opportunity in being a creator as part of your model, but you got to take it seriously. You're going pro. It's not just about being a professional in your legal work. It's about finding a way to do your legal work out loud, your learning out loud, your expertise out loud, so that you can also build community while you're getting better at your actual skills. Checking my notes, write content without having to curse Gary V continuously. <laughs> so one of the other things you talked about was this notion of like distribution. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't think a lot of attorneys think about this level that you're thinking about it at. 
So what do you mean when you talk about distribution? Because I think people might get hung up on that. Sure. The easiest way to go get distribution is to stand on a street corner with a flippy dippy sign while wearing a chicken suit. And if lawyers <laughs> want to do that, check with your state ethics rules, but maybe you could do that. But, but the idea is like, I'm a nerd. I sit in my office. I look at books. I've got to have all the law books behind me or no one will believe anything that I say. I've got to have the Bob right. Blah Blah law books. books behind me. And so I'm in a basement and I'm being a nerd. There's got to be some way for people to find your work. We'll call that distribution. You know, if I were to create content, for example, if I was to create an ebook on nuclear waste disposal regulatory compliance, that's got to get in front of people somewhere. That's distribution. Sure, you could stand with a chicken suit and a flippy dippy sign. Here's my content distributed to you. But there are other ways to do it. A lot of them are paid, and I think paid media matters. At the end, yeah. when you get yeah. to a certain level of growth, you can't grow past – if all you're going to do is organic methods, you have a cap on your growth, right? There's a yes. point at which you need to start paying for distribution. But short of that – you don't have to pay for distribution. There are so many models of distribution now. One of them is I'm on LinkedIn, right? I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on existing platforms to get eyeballs. That's called distribution. Now, how do I move them to my space? But the dream world is for you to own distribution, for people to come to you as a place because they want to learn from you. They think you're cool. They think you're funny. They give you their email address because now when something happens, you send them an, an email that says, hey, I offer this service, I offer this product. The thing where I think a lot of lawyers stumble with this is even though they have a bunch of email addresses, they still are transactional because they're sending boring ass newsletters that nobody cares about. <laughs> Right. right. Here's pictures of the changes in my office. Congratulations <laughs> to Sue. She bought a puppy. Here's a picture of her puppy. Nobody cares. Nobody's opening that. And I understand that that's better than nothing. That's in front of people's face. But nobody's opening your stupid newsletter. And you don't care about this, but it's killing your domain authority and making it so your emails aren't getting to people anyway. So stop doing that. No one cares about Sue's dog, unfortunately. Yeah. The key is you can own distribution. The point is, if you're interesting enough, to whoever it is you're trying to be interesting to as part of your model, you can own distribution and you can undercut all of those paid spaces and your model starts to work a lot better. I think we'll have a good sense of distribution on this show if we start seeing lawyers dressing in chicken suits and or representing people you know like Star Wars That's right. figures. Yeah, in this world, we call that signal, you know? <laughs> That's dark social signal. Dark social signal. All right, all right. man, you brought it up. Now you get to talk about it. Nobody knows what dark social is. Nobody understands what the signal is. Can you give me, me like yeah. the lightning round version? Because I got one more question I want to ask you. All right. Short version is not everything you do is going to be clear that it worked. In fact, most of the most important things that you do are not measurable. The problem that the internet has created in people's minds is that if it's easily attributable, if it's something I can track, if it's something that I can say, hey, that worked, it probably is stupid because that means everybody <laughs> else is doing it. And people started to say, well, if I can track it, what gets measured gets managed, and which is such a stupid quote. But And so people started to think, well, if I can measure it, it must be the smart thing to do. Meanwhile, we're in an era that the buyer journey doesn't make any sense. It's really about cultivating atmospheres and making people care about you and like you. So most of your most important work is stuff that cannot be tracked. Some of that is referred to as dark social. It's people talking about you in places that you're yeah. not there. Your job is to create conversation, not to bloody track everything and optimize everything. Just do your work out loud. People will find you. Great. Okay. 
one more thing I want to hit on, because sure. you mentioned this, like paid advertising, right? You hit a ceiling if you don't do paid advertising. So like, when do you start considering folding in paid advertising? And what kind of paid advertising are you focusing on? Yeah, again, I think this depends a little bit on your model. So let's just take two extremes from Lawyer Forward and say one is the expert freelancer and one is the audience building solopreneur. Again, there are other options, but these are extremes on a spectrum. If -hmm. you're an expert freelancer, you probably don't actually need to advertise much because, again, you've got that 10, 100,000 model. You only need 10 clients. And so getting referrals in that model is actually okay because the audience building lawyers who can't be as nerdy as you can, they become the contact that comes and hires you in a collaborative supply chain, right? Like, so they come to you, they bring you in to work. So most of your work is actually through referrals. That's fine if that's your model. I would still be yourself out loud because doing that work actually generates the expertise. There's the cliche that I write to know what I think. So there's something about writing and about creating out loud that actually creates expertise. But if you're the other type, you're the audience building solopreneur, that kind of person needs scale. Being an entrepreneur, okay, this is a rage point of mine. Everybody who owns a law firm is not an entrepreneur. If all being an entrepreneur means is you own a business, then let's just use that word. Entrepreneur means something. And one of the things that entrepreneur means is that you scale to sell. Whatever your transition is, maybe you don't actually sell it, but whatever. The point is you're growing. Growing is important. At some point, referrals, which are super important, slow down. The virality of law is not very high. So the virality of Postmates is high because the ask is low right? So, hey, buddy, you should try Postmates to order your next bit of food. Buddies are going to tell each other about that, and buddies are going to download the app because who cares, right? Right. There's very little ask in it. The virality of a law firm is different because there's such a high trust quotient, right? Mm -hmm. So there's not a lot of virality. So if you need to scale your firm, you're going to hit a wall if the only way you're scaling is through word of mouth. At some point, you need to start growing like an adult. You need to start paying for attention. You need to start paying for eyeballs and you need to do it in a scaled way. Yes, have content that captures those people, have product marketing that moves people to the point of a purchase, but at some point you're going to have to like pay for exposure. There's just not enough virality in what we do. That's totally fair, which is why I'm sitting here spending like 700 bucks a month on Grubhub and haven't hired a lawyer for a little while. Paid advertising channels, like what are you looking at in terms of options for paid advertising? Give like a few examples. Yeah, I'm going to really defer to my friend GYI. Um, <laughs> he's going to be so elated he's that all, he's been mentioned he's twice all the free, I'm now. seeing him this week, so I'm really just trying to get him to buy me dinner when I see him. So oh, that, that's, that's why all the these free stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're, you're good. But yeah, no, I mean, in general, it's all... Again, very business model specific. I think it depends a lot on like Facebook ads are a popular thing because they're so trackable. That doesn't mean they're the right thing. Google ads, very popular thing because they're so trackable. Doesn't necessarily mean it's the right thing. What might be right for you, depending on how your model is done, you might want to sponsor the school baseball team. Right. You might want to sponsor the there's a local coupon group through uh, Nextdoor app or something. You might want to sponsor that. The question, I think, with advertising is not, you know, where do I get the most eyeballs? It's where do I get the most return on my investment? And in the end, what you're trying to get people to do is become your customer. So it really depends on, you know, that's the game. Right. And the thing is, if you're an entrepreneur, you're always playing the game. I like to think of it like a board game. You're always trying to push a new 
a new resource to get to the victory points that you need to win. It's the game that interests you if you're an entrepreneur. It is not necessarily the law. It's not necessarily getting nerdy about these legal books. That's just a different model. It's the game you're playing of how do I optimize serving the most people in the most scalable way. Mike, that was great. Thank you. Are you going to hang around for the last segment? I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Awesome. All right. We'll take one final sponsor break so you can hear more about what our sponsors can do for your law practice. Then stay tuned. It's the rump roast. It's even more supple than the roast beast. Partner with rankings.io, the marketing agency for law firms that want results, not excuses. With flat rates for Google ads, a track record ranking attorneys for the most competitive terms on Google, and a team always easy to reach by phone, even during off hours, Rankings.io is the agency of choice for firms that want the rankings, traffic, and cases other law firm marketing agencies just can't deliver. Visit Rankings.io for a free consultation and start seeing your firm grow. Contract automation isn't a trend. It's a strategic imperative. Though big players in the e-sign world will make you believe implementing it will cost you big bucks and more than a few headaches, it doesn't have to be that way. DocuB is an easy to onboard, full suite of products and includes e-signature, brilliant workflow capabilities, and AI contract automation at nearly half the price of those out-of-touch behemoths. The one thing DocuB doesn't automate? Their customer service. Visit get.docub.com slash contracts to set up a call with a real live person. DocuB will be with you every step of the way. Simplify. With Cosmolex, the only fully integrated practice management solution. Everything you need, accessible anywhere. Trust and general accounting is built in, so you don't need QuickBooks. Cosmolex's Money Finder reminds you to bill for work you put into client matters so you don't leak money. That's messy. Lower cost, better business, and less frustration. Yes, please. It's all built in with Cosmolex. Free trial and take 20% off your first year at Cosmolex.com. Welcome to the rear end of the Legal Toolkit. That's right, folks. It's the rump roast. It's a grab bag, quite literally this time, of short form topics, all of my choosing. Why do I get to pick? Because I'm the host. Mike, thanks for coming back. How you feeling? Uh, more frightful than I was when this started. Go on. Oh, good. I, I invented a brand new game to play today. It's just for you. I call it Bag of Dicks. Here's how we play. I ask you a question, and the answer will be one of the three dicks I name. So your job is simply to reach into the grab bag, select the right dick. Are you ready to play? I'm, I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm having high school, college flashbacks. And I went to college at BYU, so take that for what it's worth. Go ahead. All right, let's start slow. We'll warm up here. This dick resigned the presidency of the United States during the Watergate scandal. Is it Richard Nixon? Moby, whose real name is Richard Melville Hall, or Dick Gephardt. Let's get you on the board. I'm going to give this one to Tricky Dick, <laughs> Richard Nixon. <laughs> Correct. Correct. One for one. I'm going to be keeping score. Next. This musician wrote the song, 
tripping on my own tears. Is it Richard Starkey, also known as Ringo Starr, Little Richard, or Lionel Richie? Oh, my gosh. I'm you don't have s- that in your discography? Only because I, this is the last one you said, so it's like some <laughs> cognitive bias. I'm going to say Lionel Richie. <sighs> that would be Ringo Starr from a 2003 album. That was unfair. I should have said they would get harder. It's too bad. This, this one, I have a good feeling about this one because we did a lot of sports talk. I think you get a shot at this one. This athlete was a World Series winner in 1960 and 1964. Is it Dick Raditz, Dick Williams, or Dick Grote? Okay, I want to point out, we started this conversation by me saying baseball is the worst. Uh, oh, that's right. I remember that. So now I offended all the other states, but I don't care. <laughs> baseball is the worst. Uh, I'm going to pick the second one. I don't know what you said, but I'll pick the second one. <laughs> All right, that is incorrect. Damn. Dick Grote. Dick Grote so is not close. a form of venereal disease. Sure. It's actually a man that played second base for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And I think the St. Louis Cardinals when he won in nineteen. I was really close. I was going to guess that, but uh, really close. I realize I have another baseball question on here, but you know what? For you, I'm going to change it. I'm going to change it because I can do that. All right, question number four. This is to get you back to 500. This actor won the Tony Award for Best Actor in a Musical in 1961. Now, you said you were a theater kid, so let's see how this goes. Richard Attenborough, Richard Burton, or Richard Wagner? I'm going to say Burton for Camelot. Is that what he was in? Correct. And you named the play. That's right. Damn. I'm really impressed. All right, you're, you're looking pretty good here. We are now two of four with two left. Let's go to the category of TV. This was Don Draper's real name in Mad Men. Maurice Richard, Bruce Richard, or Dick Whitman? <laughs> never watched this show. I'm going to say Dick Whitman. You never watched Mad Men? You're no. right. You're right. Three of five. Nice. Three of five. You never watched Mad Men? Really? No, and I should, you know, given that I'm in marketing and advertising. So. Oh, Mad Men is fucking great. It's one of my favorite shows. Okay, last one. Category, potpourri. No, no, let's do monarchy instead. This monarch was born in 1157. Is it Richard I, Richard II, or Richard III? Gosh, 1157. That was a good year. Man, that was such, I mean, the vintage. Uh, Postmates was crushing it in 1157. I'm going to say Rick II. Oh, good guess, good guess. It's Rick I, Trick I. Hey, look, there we are, right at 500. That is, that is my life goal. That's my life aspiration <laughs> right there. Right? Just, just good enough. We did a little content marketing. We played Bag of Dicks, and now we're done. Mike Whalen, thank you for coming on the show, sir. I appreciate it. I'm always happy to hang out and be really confused. I appreciate it. <laughs> That's what we aim for here on The Legal Toolkit. <laughs> If you want to find out more about Mike Whalen and Lawyer Forward, visit LawyerForward.com. That's LawyerForward.com, all one word. Also, listen to the Lawyer Forward podcast wherever you get your podcasts to discover the 90-day known expert series in which Mike extends on some of the topics he's addressed in this show. Now, for those of you listening in Knob Noster, Missouri, I've got a bus and Spotify playlist for you. It's Monsters of Rap, 90s edition. Unfortunately, we've run out of time to relay Martha Stewart's recipe for gin and juice, but I'm pretty sure it's just gin and juice. 
So I guess we did cover it. So that'll do it for another episode of the Legal Toolkit Podcast. This is Jerry Korea, reminding you that there's so much drama on the LTK, it's kind of hard being J-A-R-E single D. Yeah, I should probably stop now. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.